This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all spoilers. book that the exorcist is based on no and i should i really want to i bet it's really really scary (laughs) i haven't read it either but um i did hear from my mom that it's very scary (laughs) you know my dad says this is his favorite scary movie and he has said that my entire life that has never changed so i have to imagine the book is scary You know, watching The Exorcist again, it has been a while since I'd seen it. And it just really highlighted for me how much this movie has been so influential for so long. For real. I remember my dad telling me this was the scariest movie. I feel like this movie was just so influential and terrifying for people. There were women I read who claimed that it caused their miscarriages. It was so scary. This movie, it was, it had so much intense propaganda around it. And I feel like it was becoming a cult classic while it was still in theaters because it did not have a very large distribution at first. It it was very limited distribution. And um, there was a lot of, you know, MPAA controversy around what to rate this movie. And there were just audiences lined up. And so then it got pushed to a a wide release and no one ever thought a movie like this would, would deserve a wide release. And it influenced how Jaws a few years later was released um, because Jaws just out the gate went for a wide release and the stories, yeah, the miscarriage, but also there was this horrific story about how movie theaters were putting vomit bags like in the seats so that people <laughs> could throw up. And there was one reporter who claimed that he went to the bathroom after an exorcist showing and that the entire bathroom floor was covered in vomit from people oh, reacting God. to the movie. Yeah, just absolute insanity like the reactions to this movie are like so much greater in some ways than I think the movie itself is it's so funny and you know I watched it as a kid and I was like I don't know it's not that scary I you know I was a kid I I wasn't quite getting everything it's definitely scarier to me now that I'm watching it through this type of lens you know I'm looking Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. what is scary Quick question. Did you watch the extended version or the theatrical version? I believe I watched the theatrical version. Which one did you see? Okay. You know, I I realized that I accidentally bought the theatrical version, but I have seen okay. the extended version. And it has this really cool scene of her walking like upside down. Yes. Like a, like a crab or spider or whatever down the stairs. And it's really okay. creepy. 
and I didn't see it. And I was so mad at myself. (laughs) I have definitely seen that scene in the past. And I was like, am I confusing myself for like a sequel that I saw at one point? Because like I said, it has been some time since I watched this. But also the fact that The Exorcist is so influential that I feel like so many parts of The Exorcist have been parodied like a million times. Like the like... Linda Blair head spinning and like spewing vomit and like you know you see that stuff in like scary movie and like it's just so ubiquitous at this point that it's that if you're just watching it as a modern audience member you're like oh this isn't scary because I've seen people making fun of this for 30 years this is where it all started (laughs) this is the first time people saw something like that and the vomit which is this cartoonish green but it's it was the first time. It's so gross. And yeah, as I was watching it, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of a 1973 audience member and thinking of watching a 12-year-old girl masturbate with a crucifix. I was like, oh. If you can call that masturbating. <laughs> I was like, people would have been mad. <laughs> I was thinking about that as well. I, I was actually trying really hard to put myself in the place of the mother for this viewing because I hadn't really ever done that before. And I, there were several times in this movie where I felt like even as her mother, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near this kid. I wouldn't want to touch this house with a 10 foot pole. It was, she's so frightening. And you look at her and you're like, that is not a human child anymore. You can just, you can tell. <laughs> she looks unwell. <laughs> this whole movie. She looks like death. Yeah. Her, her skin is like gray and she just has like these cuts and marks on her body that are just growing as it goes her mouth is like chapped and awful (laughs) I wanted to give her some chapsticks so bad it's just like so harsh to watch and it's got that fun early 70s flavor to this movie too um I mean the first what like 45 minutes of this movie is just a slow burn it's just plot nothing scary, nothing at all. But then once it ramps up, it really ramps up. And then it does, again, one of those great 70s things. It just kind of ends. Like the movie like ends. And then there's <laughs> yeah. like, no, it, it's just over. <laughs> yeah. I And I and this movie goes so fast when you're watching. It's like a two hour long movie, which isn't actually that long. But for Kate and I, you know, who like an hour and a half movies, it's a little long. <laughs> It it goes from like zero to 11 and then all of a sudden it's over. Your heart starts racing. Like once stuff starts happening, you're like, oh my God, like it things just don't stop. Like this keeps getting worse. It, it doesn't plateau at all. So it has a really cool uh, pulse, I think, to the movie. I think so too. And the cast is stellar. Just a real, so good. really stacked cast. Linda Blair, of course, my all-time favorite child actress. Just so incredibly good. It's so fun to watch her swear. I um I went to one of those, you know, conventions where you get to have stuff signed by people. And I was really looking forward to having her sign something for my dad. And then she ended up canceling. Oh, I was bummer. really bummed about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's had a good career. I mean, yeah. she, she did not get totally pigeonholed into her child actress kind of self, which is great. I mean, she's still acting in things. 
um, even as recently as 2020. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but Ellen Burstyn is also in this as well, plays her mom. Yeah, we talked about her in Wicker Man, which was not <laughs> one of her better movies. But, um, you know, she's from Requiem for a Dream, which is amazing. And then the next movie that comes to mind for me is this is uh, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. <laughs> what about Same. you? Sam. Yes. Oh, my God, that's great. Yes, I, I think of Ellen Burstyn. I didn't realize that she was in The Exorcist. Um, and so now maybe I might think of The Exorcist, but I definitely think of Requiem for a Dream and then Yaya Sisterhood. <laughs> How funny. Yes. That's her career. <laughs> and our old priest is played by Max von Sydow, who has been in a whole bunch of things, not least of which is uh, the David Lynch Dune. Oh, I was like, Game of Thrones? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's in Game of Thrones also. I mean, he's much, a tree. <laughs> m- much maligned. <laughs> I mean, he's been... I he, mean, he was good in it. Yeah, he's been in a ton of things. Yeah, yeah. And he's he, he recently passed, which was a bummer. He's pretty great. Um, I think we need a plot summary, and then we can jump into some more details. Sure. So... The Exorcist, um, if you have been living under a rock your entire life and have never heard of what this movie is about, is centered around uh, a young girl, um, Reagan, who has been inhabited by some occult demonic force and her mother has to try and help her daughter and starts in the hard sciences and Um, eventually has to relent to the old sciences of exorcism to try and help her daughter survive this demonic possession. I have to be honest with you. I was a little afraid to have us cover this movie because it's just such a big deal. I'm so worried about getting this movie wrong, if if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. I think that when you cover classics, people have such strongly held opinions about them that it can feel like you're putting yourself on a tightrope when you disagree with those opinions. Or I mean, I don't remember any character's name from this movie. So that's going to be great as we're talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely going to call them the mom, the daughter, the old priest, and the young priest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But that, you know, as great of a movie as it is, it does also feature tubular bells, which, (laughs) (laughs) which was, uh, featured on this compilation soundtrack called Pure Moods. I don't know if anybody else out there remembers this CD, but they advertised it on TV with, it was basically this album of like soothing music. And on this album included uh, the X-Files theme, (laughs) (laughs) return to innocence. (laughs) We had some Enya and tubular bells, which, uh, which I always thought was a little funny. You know, this, this is a scary movie. You know, I, I, when I would play the soundtrack, my mom would make me turn it off when I got (laughs) tubular bells. (laughs) And I was like, why? It's, it's so comforting. It's so cool sounding. (laughs) The music is iconic. Like it is that scene when the priest like pulls up to the house at night and there's the street light and the fog and he gets out of the cab and he's silhouetted as the music is playing. You're like, yeah, this is the scene that launched 
a million t-shirts, right? Like it's so I like posters and t-shirts and it's just so iconic. Like once it really ramps up into the exorcism, like, right. As we're like getting priest involvement, I'm like, oh yeah, this scene, iconic, this scene, iconic. Every single thing is just like so ingrained into our cultural memory that it's like hard to avoid. It's hard to not know what this movie is about. Yeah. Nothing is more the exorcist than that shot that you just talked about. Yeah. With the music, that music like playing over it. I mean, this movie had such a cultural impact. It was nominated for a uh, a Best Picture Academy Award. Yeah. Can you imagine this movie winning that? With that <laughs> fucking scene? <laughs> oh I my mean, God. which one am I even talking about? There's so um, many bad scenes. Your mother but... sucks cocks in hell, maybe? <laughs> no, I wasn't even thinking of that one. I totally forgot about that one. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my gosh. No, I always think of that uh, scene where she's shoving the cross in and out of her vagina and she's just like bleeding everywhere uh... and people call this masturbation i'm like that's not how you masturbate who masturbates like that i know it's i feel so much for this 12 year old girl who is just compartmentalized spiritually inside of her own body and this demon is just like having a ferris bueller's day off like Um, like field trip with her body you know like it's just so intense and horrific and like you're watching her mutilate herself it's it's really like it's really fucked up like I I feel like there's not a better word for like how dark it is to to, like think of this poor like preteen girl going through this nobody wants to be around her I mean she's lucky in this movie because she's from a wealthy family she has everything she could ever want for at her disposal and and also along with that a mother who actually loves her and enjoys spending time with her so she really does have a lot of of things going for her but um it's really hard to watch her go through this metamorphosis and basically destroy herself and the strain this causes for her poor mother who loves her more than anything in the world just having to watch this happen to your kid i'd be like i mean i you know i think of uh Resident Evil, zombie movies, that kind of thing where you have to, you're looking at somebody, you have to tell yourself they're dead and you have to shoot them. And that's kind of how I felt about this girl. (laughs) I I was like, I kind of just think we should put her out of her misery, (laughs) but I'm not her mother. (laughs) And, you know, obviously that wouldn't have been the right choice, but uh, she's frightening. Truly. And her mom is like kind of ill-prepared for this um, in the sense that she is the picture of a modern woman, right? Like we're introduced to her. She She's an actress. Um, she's a single mom date, dating a guy. Um, her relationship with her daughter, Reagan, is very like open. It feels like for what the 1970s would have been, like a very like modern mother-daughter relationship where they're friendly and they like to hang, like they like each other. They hang out with each other. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even today it's a little weird. You're like, are you guys like friends or are you like a mother-daughter relationship? And she wants to help her daughter 
in what feels like a very logical way. And I just, this movie is so funny to me because it comes down so hard on this like science versus religion like topic no kidding yeah and you've got this like modern woman who's like I'm gonna subject my daughter to like a hospital and a real doctor and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna believe in any of this hooey wooey like demonic possession nonsense that you're telling me believing in mysticism is supposed to be the last resort right Mm -hmm. I mean we're supposed to be very smart about things as a civilization we learn things we pass them on we learn more things um and when you've been doing that your whole life i can i mean i i imagine it's the same for people who are raised religiously right having to switch that is not easy you're being asked to basically eradicate that entire system of thought from your brain I don't know how you would do it. I I would have had a hard time with this. Yeah. And and I think I enjoyed this more as a kid. I, I This trope right now is like, it's a little triggering, right? Because science is actually under attack all the time, it feels like. It's but a weird I, time to watch this it, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to remember that, you know, like this is actually really scary. And I try to remember this is an alternate un- universe, like where this si- sort of thing isn't something we have to debate like this is actually happening for these people in this movie and it is scary it's very scary yeah I think that's a really good way to think about it because the lens here is that the rational thing to do is to treat what is happening before you and in this movie universe a demonic possession is real And so the rational thing to do is to treat demonic possession in the only way that it can be treated, which is via exorcism. I do think that this movie is funny in how it opens because I completely forgot that it opened with this like very like Indiana Jones feeling like archaeological (laughs) dig in Iraq and um, finding these like, you know, um, sacred relics or objects right like and they spent kind of a long time in this like opening scene it's always longer than I remember I always forget how much time it takes up I guess it's to introduce us to the old priest who comes and helps out at the end but I never quite understood I never quite understood the significance of the tiny idol he digs up. I understand that it's like a symbol that is to be feared. He sees it throughout the, or the audience sees it a few times throughout the movie, um, sort of juxtaposed against this devil possession. But I never quite understood the significance of, of him digging it up at that moment. Did did you did you ever make sense of that or? Um, I wasn't sure if it was that it was a clue that there was something being unleashed into the world. Like, because I think that we're supposed to kind of believe that as he's excavating these relics, that the possession of Reagan is happening kind of at the same time. So I wasn't sure if it was like, this is what happens when, you know, people meddle in you know, Americans meddling in, um, you know, sacred archaeo- like historical sites or archaeological sites. And 
like kind of opens up the realms between the two maybe but I couldn't tell if the relic was supposed to be something that was holy and like yeah truly juxtaposed against what was happening with Reagan and the devil or if it was that the thing itself was maybe an indicator that the liminal bounds between our world and the spiritual world are more tenuous than we think that's true because as we're watching him uh dig up this little idol and kind of look out on his upon like the dig site right we do see this giant demon gargoyle with like a giant boner kind of like (laughs) over these two dogs who start screaming and, and fighting with each other and it was just this weird cut where all of a sudden now we're hearing a dog fight and it sounds vicious and I guess that's sort of like it it feels like a metaphor for evil like mm-hmm. now now there's disarray now there is contentiousness between brothers or yeah whatever like like, it, a, like a general like a disturbance evil, in the natural yeah. world kind of thing yeah so it's, right. it seems like maybe it's cluing him in at least to to the fact that there's something going on um and we learn later that he's the exorcist guy like when, when the young priest is trying to figure out you know, potentially what to do with Reagan, um, his, his local cleric or whatever this guy is, is like, oh, we got to get this. We got to get the exorcist guy in here. He's the only person we know who has successfully performed an exorcism. Right. And I do like how um, he he's juxtaposed against the priest, uh, the priest who is actually also a psychologist and questioning his faith. But then also the priest is juxtaposed against the mother Mm -hmm. uh, and Reagan. You know, the priest is going through a weird time with his own mother. She needs to be monitored, I guess. Her health is kind of falling apart. And he's kind of just like, well, got to do what you got to do. Got to, I don't have a lot of money, but we need to take care of her. And she ends up in this like institutional hospital. Yeah. And you go, yeah, you you look at Reagan and her mother and they are just like in love with each other. <laughs> they do everything together and they don't believe they don't have this issue with God. They're right. just secular and, you know, and he's got a lot of chaos in his life at the moment. Right. Yeah. It's a good point because it does seem like he is having this kind of crisis of faith that's bleeding out into his whole life right like he's not able to care for his mother like he wants to and he's being pulled into this situation with Reagan and her mother and he doesn't even believe that she's being possessed like he is also skeptical like (laughs) there's that really like funny part where Reagan's mom is trying to talk to a doctor about what to do with Reagan and he's like well if she believes she's possessed then like maybe doing an exorcism would help and it's like what (laughs) what kind of advice is this you know that advice is really funny because that's kind of how they approach it today they they have you check check to make sure it's not a mental thing first and then we'll talk possession <laughs> right the the order of operations here with them trying to figure out what's wrong with reagan feels so backwards because they're like well first we're going to get her in and see if she's having seizures oh and that 
uh, like yes. weird, <laughs> like I don't know what it is, like the a- angiogram type thing that they do on her, um, where they have her strapped down and they like put that looks awful nozzle into her neck turns out is medically accurate and um it just like that's actually like kind of like the most stomach turning part of this movie for me is like when they're like getting like blood spurting out of her in this like very like sanitized hospital setting you can see why people would have grown up with a fear of hospitals or distrust you know like we i mean I guess you could always say this because things are always evolving and improving, but watching somebody go through that is horrific. And we don't do things like that anymore, which is great, but you have to go through that to get to where we are today. Right. And there's things we do today that we're going to look back in like 20 years and be like, oh my God, we were monsters. You I know. know. How barbaric, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, why don't you just start with an exorcism? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Get that one out of the way first. <laughs> Reagan's mom throughout the movie, me me um, blaspheming here reminded me of this. Reagan's mom throughout the movie, like blasphemes, like she's always saying like, oh, Jesus Christ or oh Christ at one point she even says oh, Judas Priest and I was like whoa was that's that? a weird one I was <laughs> like we're digging deep here to show like how secular she is that she's like not even mindful of the language that she is using yeah I didn't actually catch that but I, I did think it was funny how much she like cursed in front of her kid or just kind of just said whatever was on her mind <laughs> very cash, around very all cash. of these yeah very um religious people clearly right i love that dinner party scene it I think is it's so funny funny is the right word yeah yes. <laughs> it's like one of these parties that i wouldn't want to be at i'd want to <laughs> get out of there as soon as i could <laughs> you mean that you don't want to be gathered around a piano while someone is playing and like encouraging everyone else to sing around the piano <laughs> Kate, is this something people really wanted to do with their time? I I don't get it. I I hate listening to other people sing. Like <laughs> I just if I'm gonna sing, I want to do it in the shower by myself, like when no one's around. I don't want to hear other people sing because most people aren't very good, including myself. <laughs> and here's a party where everybody is focused on everyone singing. <laughs> It's so weirdly formal. To I mean, everyone is just very so fancy. dressed up, and I I th- feel like this kind of like mid century through like the early eighties movies kind of had this view of what upper middle class or maybe upper class families were like in terms of like hosting dinner parties, where it was like the kids are supposed to be in bed, right? Like the kids are just upstairs locked away in their room in their pajamas and like then you've got like the kid like traipsing down in their nightgowns and the parents are like you're so cute but you got to get back up to bed and it's like did that actually happen there's this movie that I absolutely love called imitation of life it's actually a remake but it came out I think in the 50s or 60s I can't remember with Lana Turner And this is basically her life. Like, she's an actress. It's a movie about an actress. And she throws big, lavish parties at her house. And this is exactly what they look like, right? Okay, Uh, yeah. Everyone's partying. Everyone's very dressed up. There might be singing. There's smoking. There's all that stuff. 
and there's no kids, right? Yeah. The kids are away. Or even if you're like 16, 18, whatever, like you're not really necessarily at the party. And that's what this reminded me of. I was like, this is the 70s. Why are, why are you still throwing these lame dinner parties? <laughs> what is your idea of a good dinner party? Oh, good dinner party. Um, I really like um, being able to uh, chit-chat over cocktails um, or some wine. Um, good food. I think that like the dinner party, like part of it is very like food oriented for me, like planning and like plating a nice meal for friends. And then um, I'm a millennial, so I like to play board games. Like that's like also what I think about is like then having like drinks and like playing games or having like several games out and around so that people can kind of pick and choose what they're doing. And like significantly more casual than like anything that we would ever see in a movie (laughs) definitely I mean most most times now when I go to someone's house to hang out for dinner or board game day or whatever I'm in like yoga pants (laughs) I don't I don't even wear jeans (laughs) I can't even imagine like how I would invite someone over for a dinner party that's like a fancy dinner party like how would you even message that I you know I live in an apartment. I've always lived in an apartment if I when I wasn't at home. Uh and I just it, to me it feels like a pipe dream. Like I would love to invite three or four couples over, maybe even more. I don't know. It'd be so cool to have a big ass like King Arthur table and just fill it with all my couple friends. Not that I have many. I would just have to invite like a bunch of people. Um and sit around and do a fancy dinner party and just chat. And then like, I would love to have a bunch of rooms or tables set up in a big room where everyone can play whatever board game they want. Yeah. But you're right. Like it's board games. Like I would love to have good food, lots of drinks and Mm -hmm. lots of board games all night. Yes. (laughs) I I love like chatting and catching up with people over board games. I mean, maybe there was a bigger emphasis on being able to be musically skilled um, mid-century and so like that was kind of a centerpiece of like what people did and it does kind of seem like playing games at the time was maybe more gendered where maybe you'd have yeah like, like men and women would maybe play cards but like the men would play poker whereas the women would play like you know gin rummy or something right so I think that it's just a different concept I think that like the closest thing we get to dinner parties now is maybe like friendsgiving type situations yeah, that's yeah. probably true. That's yeah. a very millennial thing. I'm so uh, curious to see what the next generation will think is a good dinner party. Right. I wonder if we're like in a particularly casual point in history and maybe it will like start, I don't know, because these things ebb and flow, right? Like maybe it'll get more serious at some point again. Um, but I think that at my dinner party, I would prefer to not have my um, child piss on the carpet and tell my guests that they're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually not good. (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Usually. Speaking of death, should we get to our kill count? (laughs) Yes. Let's do it. Um, It's a short list. I know. There's very little death in this movie. And because we like to think of the 
deaths as a kind of framing for these episodes. I was trying to think about it a lot. And um, to be totally frank, I completely forgot about the first two deaths because they felt so inconsequential to the plot. Yeah, you barely notice them. I mean, the second one actually is consequential, but you don't see it. So it's easy to forget that it happens. But the first death, the first death is uh, this young priest mother's death, who isn't a major character. No, she's not really given her own characterization or agency. It's more about what does this do to an already unstable person psychologically like his mom has died and he obviously has a lot of guilt over having to put her into a like a public kind of nursing home and just not being able to be there to care for her and then she dies which the devil relishes getting to use against him yeah and and that was one of those scenes where the devil is talking to him where I was like okay, couldn't you just tell yourself this isn't real? And I was really struggling with empathy in these types of scenes. Like, you're looking at this disgusting gray, purple, green girl, (laughs) and she's covered in wounds. Like, this obviously isn't your mother. Don't feel bad. (laughs) That was the first thing that went through my head. But I guess it would be different if it was, like, my dad's voice or, or like, my cat sitting there or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I know the the ability to like conjure the voice and that whole conceit of the the devil will use a mix of the truth with lies to try and get to the core of who you are. Right. Where it's like, oh, I know exactly what your weaknesses are. I know what's going to make you cry, what's going to make you break down and is just like so happy to use it against you. And and her death is also off screen, but it's sad to think of the way she died, which was alone and in this very scary place away from the things that brought her comfort. I, I guess it was a hospital. It was really depressing. So sad and just not a great situation. I like how much color they gave us around the young priest's life. I think that so often when we see priests in movies were like this is a man of God and he's got nothing else going on like it's just all God all the time whereas this guy he's like also a psychologist on top of being a priest he's got this mom to take care of that he's got obvious guilt around Uh, he's also a boxer right yeah just all of these like little things about him he kind of has this like parallel uh, to sideways in in sideways when Paul Giamatti leaves his mom while she's still sleeping on the couch, you know, so he doesn't have to like face her after stealing her money. Oh, uh, this, yeah. This priest kind of does the same thing. Like he's like, all right, I'm gonna leave while mom's asleep and figure out what to do with her behind her back, <laughs> and it's it's really sad. The second death is the first one that is really more of a consequence of the possession. Yes. Um, but again is off screen and as I mentioned was not something that really stuck out for me in the plot overall. Yeah, we find out that uh Reagan was being babysat uh by Burke for a little bit and he went to her room presumably to check on her. His body is found 
on the steps outside. He's been thrown from the window. His head is turned around. So it's not like he fell. <laughs> it's not like he it's not like he fell out a window. <laughs> Um, somebody did something to him, but the only person who was in the room with him at the time was Reagan. And that's the only suspect. Doesn't this have like some shades of the original child's play? It does. I was thinking that too. Yes. Yeah. I feel like Maggie. I know. So I know Aunt Maggie. I feel like this is so like embedded into our like movie landscape that we're just like oh yeah like this kind of scene of you know someone getting pushed out a window and being discovered and yeah we just see it happen in other movies and this is the this is the original (laughs) this is where where it all comes from (laughs) yeah I I felt so bad right here because this is her boyfriend and earlier in the movie Reagan is like yeah you can invite him to my birthday like you know I know you like him and he's nice and and it's this really sweet moment and now he's dead. I know. And she'll never talk to him again. It's just so sad. Our next deaths are also our only other deaths in the movie and they are so interwoven into the core ritual that is this movie that I think that we should talk about it in the context of the ritual. What do you think? Definitely. Definitely. They wouldn't have happened without it. And this ritual, as like you can imagine, is like the absolute crux of this movie, right? Like there is this long kind of gradual ramp up as you can tell that Reagan is suffering. She's having these quote unquote convulsions. Her like bed is shaking. She's having these outbursts. Um, But then when the possession like fully takes, it is like a, a a switch flips and the movie just like goes to 11. It's insanity. She's just being nasty and rude and she vomits and says terrible things. Basically, that's the next, I don't know, what, 20 minutes of the movie mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just <laughs> you're kind of sitting there taking it all in. This is this little girl saying all these things to these two priests. And it's a lot. It's a lot for this old dude to take in. And we've already seen him fiddle with his meds earlier in the movie. You know, when he's in Iraq, he has this little tin of meds that he's like shakily pulling pills from. And now we're at the point in the movie where he's like taking handfuls. (laughs) He's just tossing back a few at a time of these meds while dealing with this monster. He definitely seems like he is not long for this world. But because he is the resident exorcism expert, he's like, all right, folks, let's get down to brass tacks. And he starts by uh, just reading the Bible. In the, yeah, he reads in the, the Our Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the demon, I'm going to pause for a second here and just, say I feel like it's a demon it's hard for me to imagine that it's the actual devil and so I keep saying demon but is it actually the devil it's supposed to be the devil that's wild she says she's the devil yeah that's what's so scary about this yeah and I it makes it for me honestly calling her the devil on one side it makes it more powerful what's happening to her but on the other side you know, the fact that she survives it, 
I'm kind of like, oh, that's the devil. That's not that bad. <laughs> right. If, yes. If that's the devil. Yes. It could have been a lot worse. It seems like it's trying to have it both ways. Like it's trying to show you that this is a powerful, very, very scary thing that's happening um, in this girl's body. But the fact that it can be overcome makes it um, lose some of its importance, I think. And so I think that my my brain just kind of auto corrects it to a demon I'm like oh there's no way it could be yeah the actual devil because if it was the actual devil everyone would have died we'd be dead yeah right exactly that's kind of how I think of the devil in the Christian mythology you know it's just you it's insurmountable <laughs> to a human yes for sure whereas this um this entity which I mean the movie's calling it the devil so we'll call it the devil recoils from the reading of just the bible and just hearing these words from a priest it's it, it is suffering from it I also like how it reacts to tap water when it thinks it's holy water okay so I wanted to ask you about this because yeah. the young priest uh, Damien, he says, you know, this is a psychosomatic thing because I just put tap water on her and she reacted like it was holy water. But I was wondering if there was some kind of like transubstantiative property happening here where because tap water is being tossed by a priest and because he said the right things even if it wasn't his intention for it to be holy water if it like somehow becomes holy water yeah I don't know because I know holy water is holy because it's blessed and obviously it wasn't in this case but I it makes me think that and I doubt this was what was I don't know we'll see what was going on in the 70s right but it makes me think that what they're trying to say is that it's not so much about the ritual it's about you know blessing the water but what you believe about the ritual that's sort of what the priests are saying today Mm -hmm. uh you know rule out that psychological part of it and we'll take it from there Mm -hmm. right (laughs) you know i could see rule out the sickness yeah um and and you know that's what the doctors tell her you know, if your child believes that she's possessed by the devil, if you believe she's possessed by the devil, then an exorcism will work. And that's sort of how I saw it here for the devil kind of working in reverse. It is so effective once the old priest comes in and you see what happens when he's spraying actual holy water, right? And the all-time great line, right? The power of Christ compels you, which has been used so many times <laughs> yes. since then. And just like you can see like the demon like starting to recede, but then every time these priests like take a little break, like the demon like or devil seems to come back, but stronger. And you're like, yeah. how is this like defeatable? It seems like it's not winnable. Stop taking breaks. <laughs> they mentioned that the ritual in Africa that the – um old priest performed um a decade ago took months to finish it was months of exorcism yeah and and you you get a little bit of that in this movie you see them you see the 
younger priest coming and going, coming and going. Kind of, it, it, it does these weird 70s movies cuts, so it's <laughs> kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. But um, what I was reading about exorcisms is that they can take uh, months to finish, right? Uh, like, it'll be a repeated process until the demon is expelled. <laughs> Doesn't it seem like the younger priest is also, at the beginning at least, like not all in on the exorcism? So it seems oh, like- totally. It seems like it's weakening the overall effect of the exorcism too. I'm sure because actually when you read up on this, you know, in in the Catholic faith, you have to perform a specific part of the ritual by a priest who is- specifically designated to do this you can't just ask any old priest there's even notes on the prayer itself because you can get this from uh, I think it's catholicism or catholic.org one of those it says at the top uh, this is to be read by a priest don't read this if you're not a priest something like that like a warning (laughs) oh wow (laughs) which I thought was really funny yeah (laughs) and so I I can see what like that rings true to me for the reality of how these are dealt with. I really want to watch more movies with you that have other exorcisms in them. I know that in some of the paranormal activity sequels, there's some exorcism scenes. Um, there's, There's a handful of movies that have them, and I think it would just be really fun to see how much they're cribbing from this original movie because I feel yeah. like our concept of what an exorcism is like in terms of needing the holy water and needing an experienced priest and the reading of the Bible and like the spiritual fortitude that you need to have to fight against the devil is all defined in this movie. And we haven't even gotten to the priest's death yet. I know. know? He, I think Ugh. he has a heart attack or something, right? It's just like, too much for him yes that's exactly what I was going to say it's he is he's putting in the work and it's too much for him and we already know he's infirm he has done this before seems like he he kind of got pulled out of his retirement for one last job (laughs) (laughs) to help out this rookie priest um so he uh he dies and then it's just only on the younger priest not a good place to be you know now we're left with this priest's death this is the last death in the movie he gives basically the worst cpr ever to this old priest it's pretty terrible and then he gets to beat up a kid (laughs) there's two two really cool things that happen right in a row (laughs) i mean the cpr was so bad that i was trying to google to figure out when cpr was invented because i could not (laughs) believe that cpr was around or mouth-to-mouth resuscitation was around prior to this movie i was like oh this is just how people tried to save people before they (laughs) had any medical knowledge oh this is how cpr came about (laughs) (laughs) he just pounded people on the chest oh my gosh oh man yeah i I do love that he he beats up on reagan and she's got that excellent like head turning scene yes um at the end i think her head turns like three times in this movie right yeah something like that yeah yeah um, and he kind of makes the ultimate sacrifice and it's almost, I mean, it's kind of a literal leap of faith where he ends up <laughs> doing, uh, <laughs> did you like that? Um, a soul transfer 
ish where he actually takes the devil into his body and then throws himself out the window to just kill himself and the devil. Yeah, we see that he is possessed now by the devil because he's got those green eyes that Reagan used to have and then he's gone. And as he's laying there dying, uh, this other priest kind of happens upon him and is like, I absolve you of your sins. I, you know, he's doing this like blessing and I'm like, leave him alone. He's dying. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And then Reagan doesn't even remember by the end. She she doesn't remember what happened, yes. her, which I think is good. I think it's good too. Can you imagine the lifelong trauma? There's Oof. no way. So she... Her poor mother. She she forgets what's happened, but not so much that she doesn't just have a generally favorable idea of priests going yeah. forward. Because she just sees this random priest and like hugs him at the end. Yeah, she gives him a little kiss on the cheek, which Man, is sweet. There were some parts in this movie where there there must have been like a cultural movement around this time that where people were maybe moving away from the church or getting more skeptical about the church. And Mm -hmm. these guys are saying stuff that I'm like, watching this movie in 2021, it's really hard for me to be sympathetic towards the Catholic church. Like it's just really, yeah, it's so funny to have to like take yourself out of our current time and just be like, this is how it was in the seventies. I know they were still molesting kids in the 70s, but like course, people weren't aware of, of it then. And so they're yeah. like cutting themselves a little bit of slack. <laughs> well, that's why I also thought it was funny that she kisses him on the cheek. I know. And, <laughs> and also, <laughs> this is really, I'm being really lame right now, but also her hair is like tucked up into her cap. So she kind of looks like a little boy. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are they doing here? It's such a good movie though. It it's really, really is. It is good. Yeah. It's good. It's it's so much more than just the exorcism at the end. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the movie actually does go to some pretty good lengths at the beginning to establish this mother-daughter relationship so that you can really feel how desperate they are to get Reagan back to herself. And they give like a nice little arc to the priest where he had his crisis of faith, but that's resolved at the end because he's willing to die for his faith basically there. Uh, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. It's pretty like, and I mean neat and like a very like clean plot where the characters are given their own individual arcs and those arcs are resolved. Right. Would you say it was effective? As a ritual? You know, I think that the goal was to exercise the devil out of Reagan. And in that sense, yes, Reagan is no longer possessed at the end of this movie. Um, But both of them had to die for it. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) I mean, that's what I was going to say. And not even them. I mean, well, this happened before the ritual. But basically, three men had to die while this girl was possessed. Right. Which, yeah, like sucks and and the two two of the three were trying to save her at the same same time so you're kind of sitting there wondering well whose life is more valuable I guess it doesn't really matter what would have happened if if it had been unsuccessful like if Reagan had continued to harbor the devil I wish that they had maybe gotten into that a little bit because I mean I can imagine that Reagan 
dies or is just so changed by the experience that she's never herself again. Um, but I mean, we know that Burke died. And so maybe if left unchecked, it would just have continued killing people. Mm -hmm. So maybe the sacrifice of two to three people is worth getting the devil out of this child. But it's, it is hard because it's, it's not really laid out for us. So we don't exactly know what the consequence would have been had they not done the exorcism. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've seen any of the sequels, so I don't know if, you know, the devil comes back because they did the ritual wrong or <laughs> if the devil is just like, hey, I'm here now. Um, so, I, I, you know, the ritual worked for getting rid of the devil inside of Reagan, but I'm going to guess that it didn't work for getting rid of the devil long term. So <laughs> I'm giving this like a 50 percent. Yeah. Pass, yeah. Pass rate. <laughs> it's right. Right down the middle. <laughs> It could have probably been better, and then there would not have been any sequels. <laughs> no devil. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, this movie should be watched by everyone. Absolutely everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Make sure you watch it. Watch it. <laughs> if you haven't I watched mean, it yet, hurry up. The music is so good. Like, the acting is great. Um, I, I like, kind of can't stand child actors, um, especially in, like, movies before 1980. Like, child actors are, like, so horrible. <laughs> like, they just didn't know how to use them. But, like, Linda Blair, she's so good. Like, good job. Amazing. Yeah, I think they ask the right amount from her. I think this is a great movie featuring a child. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, highly recommend. I think it's it's a classic for a reason. And if you like horror movies in any regard, I think you kind of owe it to yourself to watch these original classics because they just have such a huge influence on the the industry as a whole. Yeah, there are so many moments watching this movie where you're like, oh, this is where that came from. And you should at least watch it for that if you haven't seen it yet. For sure. Well, I cannot wait to continue this season next week. Um, we have so many more good rituals to talk about. We'll catch you then. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching. Mm-hmm.